happened with all that? I don't know. I got full bars over here. So, <laughs> all right, we're going to try this again. All Jesus. Right. <laughs> this is the Coach Haas Podcast, powered by Sports Rehab and my co-host, Mike. Dr. Mike St. George, I have on with me today, and uh, we haven't been at it in a while, so uh, we decided tonight we were going to get the, uh, the gear started. Um, it's been a, a few months. We've had some good and bad things going on in between air, some personal, some business, so uh, we're back at it tonight, and uh, we're going to spend about 30, 40 minutes with you guys, and I, I have Mike here tonight. I want to talk to him about... Um, Seavers disease, Seavers disease. We have uh, a few, uh, patient clients that, that we're sharing right now, uh, that have had this. So I wanted Mike to kind of talk a little bit more, a little bit more about it. So Mike, welcome. And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of give us a, some insight on, on this, uh, Seavers disease. All right. Uh, nice to be back. Uh, yeah, things got a little busy with schedule. Um, but we're going to try to get back into this. So Seavers disease. So I think we had two patients that we um, treated with that. Generally, you know, younger. Um, it's not like I'm seeing that coming into the door um, like every day. But then again, you might see a little bit more of it if you specialize in more of a PD population because um, it seems to happen a little bit more at that younger population um, like maybe from like ages like 9 13 you know around there um and you know i see a lot of it in the achilles uh and it's kind of like a combination of when the you know the bones are growing or hitting a little bit of that growth spurt combined with you know extra stress and uh loading onto the tendon so i feel that, you know, a good combination of the tendon stress and then the bone growth creates this um, combination that could present pretty nasty. Um, so try to do a combination of restoring the... Well, what, ma- what makes it worse? Like, what, what are... That are, you know, that are going to bring it on? kind of makes that worse? Well, it's probably the pushing through the uh the stress that that's causing it so you know if you have a a younger individual and and, you know they're going through these growth spurts and then they're doing a certain activity that constantly puts the load on it you know they don't know any better um parents probably don't know any better so they keep pushing through that activity and that just continues to aggravate things um probably you know better way to prevent it from from getting stresses and, you know, the minute they start getting that pain is having them get it, you know, obviously checked out, you know, sooner with that. Gotcha. Do they have to stop playing their sport or stop training? I mean, can they, can they, can they work through this? Is it something where they get shut down and they're, and they're, and they're seeing physical therapy and then coming back to me, return to play? Yeah. So that's the hard thing with like young kids. Like how do you tell them not to go play and like do stuff, especially with an injury? I mean, you got, you get kids who get casted and they want to go out and, you know, ride on their skateboard and do stuff. They don't think they really understand that. They tend to have a little bit of that invincible mode. But then there's also some kids that completely have fear avoidance and shut down. So, you know, it's the personality type. Um, I think if you could, you know, just like any athlete, have the kid be uh, active and doing stuff that's not going to aggravate it while 
implementing some things to, you know, improve it. Like, for instance, they go, you know, running is the one thing that really flares it. You know, maybe they could, uh, you know, bike ride or do something else um, while you're implementing some therapy exercises or doing a combination of it. So, you know, it comes down to that, uh, you know, don't focus on what you can't do. It's focus on what you can do type thing. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, and then, so like, what, what would, how would they diagnose that? Like, where would, how would I know that that's Seaver's disease, not tendonitis? Not, I mean, is, is it actually, is Seaver's disease a form of tendonitis or tendinosis or? Um, you know, the tendinopathy really obviously can happen any throughout the body. The tendinopathy is really just a disruption of that, uh, the integrity of that tendon, um, you know, for it to happen in a, in a younger child, uh, you know, it shouldn't be that common. I mean, if it's happening, it's usually because you're having this poor combination uh, of things. That's probably why it's not like every other kid is coming in with it. <clears throat> because, you know, when kids are growing, you know, the tissue is a little bit more pliable. Um, generally they're not, supposed to be doing activity that is so like repetitive to be getting a tendinopathy you know we usually see that more in adults because we just get so much more regimented but now i think with the organized sports and the pressure on kids to do the same movement the same activity over and over and over again the same tissue and stuff being loaded in the same way so you might see a little bit more of that um you know, they always, they always tend to like to do imaging. They like to, you know, just see, you know, integrity of, of the bones. And then they might do some, um, you know, like an x-ray and they might do some other type of imaging just to see what the tissue is looking like. Uh, but, you know, even with that stuff, with a, with a tendinopathy type thing, you know, you might see some swelling, some inflammation, some highlighted stuff. But, you know, you probably would only see more of the integrity of it is if you went under like an ultrasound and you kind of see, you know, it's like what they do you know, with some of like the, uh, you know, gluteal, uh, tendons, um, the elbow tendons, you can look at on the ultrasound and you'll see where the tendon fibers are either uniform or, or they're not. Um, and then obviously, you know, if you were to look at those fibers under a microscope, when you have disruption of those tendon fibers, they're very like disorganized kind of hooked together and swirly pattern instead of like a linear, you know, matrix, like a nice smooth yep. you know, yep. matrix. So, um, I think that might be where, you know, a disease like this is starting to get, you know, a higher prior prevalence because we just have kids that are just doing the same thing over and over again. So they're predispositioning themselves for it's constant loading of the tissue in the same areas. Whereas probably like 20 years ago or maybe even more, you know, organized sports was there, but like the specialization and the push for that, I just feel like it's at like an all time high now. Um, and I, I think that the influx of technology is also pushing into that, you know, so you could have a kid who's hanging around all afternoon on Snapchat and then gets up off the couch. And, oh, I got to go to practice now. Like there's no stretching, no, no mobility, or it's like they're in these, these more sedentary positions or, you know, um, they're just not moving around as much. And then they go and they're doing the same thing. You know, as before, a lot of the phones and tablets and stuff, you might have a kid who might, might be outside playing for like a half hour or doing some other activity. And it's like, oh, now I got to go to like soccer practice or something, or I got to go to basketball practice. 
it's like, uh, you know, I think kids occupy themselves with other activities um, where now it's just like, you know, I'm hanging around. I'm just going to be on my phone. Um, so that's causing a lot of other issues. So right. that might be contributing to it. Yeah. And you know what I was, I was going to say, you know, ankle mobility obviously plays a, a, a big role, you know, in that. And, and I've been seeing a lot of that coming in, you know, that the ankle presents, you know, with not so much mobility to it. And, um, you know, when you start having tight calves and things, it's definitely going to start to put that, that strain around the, the, the heel bone um, and the calcaneus and, and, and such. Um, what are some therapies or what uh, techniques that, that you would kind of use to, to treat that and then kind of give me kind of what that looks like with you and then what it would look like right before they come to see me? So a lot of these conditions, you know, if you really narrow stuff down, you know, is take out like all um, extraneous factors and stuff. Cause there's always things you got to consider, but we just look at the basics of why a lot of things happen. It's because there is an imbalance in the mobility and the stability. These are the two things that the human body needs, needs to function um, properly. You know, there's a certain balance in the human body that needs to be there. If you look at the way we were designed, um, there's certain areas where there's like little room for error, like in the shoulder, you think about the subacromial space. So the space right underneath your collarbone that goes onto your shoulder, um, where some of the, uh, you know, rotator cuff tendons and other structures will run. It's a very small space. And you're like, well, why is that? You know, and like so much room for error. So there's like a slight deviation of the way your shoulder blade and, you know, the rest of your shoulder work together then you're going to have an issue. So it's like you have these small degrees of error. So sometimes it's like a slight, like a five degree difference in something can cause an issue. But then there's also some people where five degree difference isn't that big of a deal depending on their activity. So, you know, you always look at where that imbalance is. So with something like this, you know, if there's extra stress on it. We have to look at what's causing that. So you want to make sure, you know, does, so if we use the severus disease in the Achilles, for example, does the ankle move? Can they move their ankle and their foot in the same range on both sides equally? And then can you passively push the foot into those ranges? So mobility and then range of motion, you know, are, are those equal? And, um, you know, can they do it without pain? And then, uh, you know, I looked at tissue integrity. So, you know, is that Achilles flared up? Is there swelling there? Um you know, what, what is like the integrity of the calf, the soleus, like the other muscles in there, you know, are they tight? Are they stressed out, guarded? Um, or is it sometimes like the way, you know, the kid moves, maybe just look at like what the kid does and then how they move. And maybe it's caused because of the way like they run or like they do something weird when they try to turn and cut, you know, um, something like that. So sometimes you can't just look at, just like range of motion and stuff. You have to look at like how well they move in a shape or a position, you know? Um, and then obviously like strength, you know, how well can the muscle perform against just body weight uh, or against any external resistance. So you want to restore all those things. Those should be normal, especially for a kid. Kids should have full mobility and stability there. Uh, and then when all those foundational things are put together and they have that, um, 
you try to then stress it a little bit more. So if you can move well within your body, now it's add some extra load and resistance and make sure you can still move well there. And then when they're good with that, then they're ready to go on to the next phase, which would be now let's try to get into some more sports specific stuff. So the challenge of body in these controlled environments, these controlled movements. Now let's try to take it to a little more dynamic where we're going to move into, you know, uh, different planes of motion, more sports specific stuff, things that are going to require less attention on just the movement, but more attention on multiple things. So, you know, can I move well by focusing on a soccer ball or a basketball or something like that? So they would have to be clear of that stuff before they came and worked with somebody, you know, like you. They have to have that foundation first before you can go and obviously do all the sports specific stuff and take them to the next level. You know, if they don't have that foundation, they're not going to get anywhere with you. So that's right. what we do to clear. Gotcha. Gotcha. What is your, uh, what's your, what's your take on like orthotics or insoles uh, being prescribed for, um, you know, cause maybe it, maybe it's uh, foot biomechanics there. Pronation going on. Uh, that's causing that. Uh, if you see things like where the ankle's collapsing in, is that something that you're going to try to treat manually or is that something that you would encourage them to maybe go with some orthotics or some insoles? Listen, th- this is something that, that kind of goes back with me. Like I, I had, I, and I say this, I had flat feet, right? Um, I've kind of went through the whole insole thing and because it bothered my knees, you know, um, and I went through a bunch of different and to be quite honest, I didn't work much for me. No it goes by a case by case basis. Um, but I've actually found that the more I do and create mobility and and you know work the bottom foot flexors and get them not only stretch the massage, but I also strengthen them, I found that I'm not having that that flat foot, I don't get that pronation. I don't, you know, so I mean, foot biomechanics and all that, I guess that plays into this too. But going back to my, my question, what, what's your kind of, what's your t- products and insoles? I mean, that's like a whole, it's like a loaded question. We're definitely going to bring on some people on some next episodes and have like a round table discussion on this. Cause this is just something that's always the question, but I like to keep it simple and say, Let's fix everything that we have control over before we start adding any external things. So if you have a car and the axle and the components, you know, like your uh, brake pads, your rotors, you know, the axle's not off, the alignment's off. If that's all not working right, it doesn't matter what type of tire you put on there, you know. So we got to fix all the foundational stuff first and see what we get out of that before we start adding extra help and extra support. So is the person's foot, you know, jacked up because they don't have good control or because they're tight um, or they're not using the right muscles. So before we say they have a high arch, we got to brace that. Why don't we look at how well they have control of that high arch or they're flat footed. Well, okay. I mean, there's plenty of athletes that have quote unquote flat feet, but they have great neuromuscular control without any problems. So before we start adding extra stuff on there and altering, because that's going to alter the way the body responds. It's the feedback the body's getting from the, from the floor. So if your senses some type of support, it's going to work off of that support. Well, if that's the case, then why don't we try to train it to respond 
to any type of stimulus you put on it. So basically like barefoot or in the socks and see what happens. And if they're really, really having a hard time, then we might say, you know what, might need to do something here. Some people genetically just have like an excessive variation of the foot where they need a little something, you know, they notice, you know, um, but it also depends on the sport too. Like if they're going to be running a lot or doing a lot, they might need it. Like depending on the impact, you know, like if they were going to be a, like a trail runner and, and they need more support on their foot, cause there's only so much time on feet that they could handle, you know, maybe they, they need some extra support. Um, but sometimes if it's like a sport where, you know, they have a lot of stop and go, you know, they might not need that much support, you know, it really just depends. So I would fix all that first and then look at, you know, what the response is and see, you know, what maybe you need a little bit of, a little bit of support here for the foot, you know, a little bit of an insert. Um, also, if there's something else there, like maybe there, you know, there is a true leg length discrepancy. Maybe someone was born with that, so that might require something there. Um, and again, you know, it's, I think a lot of it could be genetic. Some people just have feet that aren't really, like, pliable in a way. You know, they're just very, very rigid no matter what you do. It's like, yeah, you just need some support there. Uh, and some people don't, you know. So um, I would say fix all the components first and then always add in the accessory stuff after. That's how we do it and see what you get out of it. So there's obviously physicians and other specialists that might disagree. They might want to do something else. Um, but I say the less reliant you are on something, the more versatile you are and the better. And why not see what your body is capable of doing? Because then you'll at least know. you at least know like you cleared it. Like if you said, I tried everything and I did all the right things and I still need this help, you're going to be more bought in on like, okay, this is what I need than just saying, oh, just, hey, here's some stuff, you know? Right. So People are wearing shoes that they don't need. Like they have no feedback from the ground and they just, it actually shuts their foot down even more. So I would say add that in last. Gotcha. I mean, we can go on a soapbox forever about the different types of footwear and things. And and I do believe that we've, we've done that in some of, uh, some of the past yeah, podcasts. We'll that we should um, have another round table on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because um, I mean, we we went on. I think I, we had uh, Ryan on before, and we spoke to him about the the whole. I think he was doing a a paper, one of his final papers for um, for PT school, and it was about you know the the support of a basketball sneaker and yeah. things like that. And yeah. So yeah, I mean, listen, there there are so many different factors, and you know, it, it, it's funny because the more I'm more I'm in this, the more I hear myself saying this common phrase it just depends right everybody is a case by case everybody's going to be a little bit different people are going to react to things just a little bit differently so it sounds like you're getting off easy by using that taking the high road you know but it really does it just depends on the situation you know and there's going to be different opinions on it and people are going to respond differently to it so um but so in, in, in typical, typical fashion with something like this, how long does Seaver's disease take to go away? Huh. That's, that's with any diagnosis. Um, that's another, it depends. I, you know, people want to have like a, how long is this going to take? How long? I mean, depends on how long it was going on for, you know, like how much tissue aggravation is there, maybe how much damage is done. Um, and how diligent the person is on working towards undoing 
you know, the damage. So if the foot's really tight, are they working on mobility every day or are they just doing it like once a day and then just playing video games, you know? Is the kid really focused on doing it? You know, that's with any diagnosis. Um, you know, with surgical stuff, you give a little bit more of an answer because you have certain guidelines you have to follow because at this point we understand how long it takes for things to heal and we kind of understand how, you know, things come along. But even then it could be a little different because depending on how an athlete presents at the beginning, you know, like uh, an NFL athlete coming back from an ACL, you know, they might be squatting with, with load four weeks post-op just because just that much more advanced as opposed to a high school kid or a middle school kid who had a torn ACL and comes in and they just can't even stand on one leg because they were just so weak and deficient. So, you know, there's so many factors that'll, that'll play into that. So I would say the, the prognosis for how long it'll take to get better is really um, looking at the severity of the aggravation and then how compliant, you know, the, uh, the patient and the athlete is, towards working towards you know getting things better working on their deficits the more they practice that the more their body's going to change and adapt and learn the positive thing is that these younger kids they're you know they're like sponges they just absorb everything so they just adapt very fast um so they're a little bit ahead of the mark for certain things so if they really work at it they can make some fast progress okay all right cool um and then i know you, you kind of talked about it a little bit and um on the spot again here, but some of the exercises uh, for the Seavers disease, you said you progress them into that, that load back on there. So, um, so obviously they stand on one foot and then, you know, then adding um, an external load to that. Is that what you're saying? Like progressing that, that extra. Yeah. So like, if you look at, can they even just like stand on one leg and then if they can stand on one leg can they do it on like a non-compliant surface? Can they do it with an extra weight? Can they do it with a perturbation trying to throw them off balance? Can they do it with some type of other um, stimulus like focusing on something else with their eyes or multitasking? Um, you know, or then something simple like uh, looking at like a squat form or a single leg squat or a lunge. Do they have control within their body weight? And then once they have control of their body weight, can they do that with adding extra weight? Um, what happens with extra weight plus fatigue? You know, what happens with extra weight plus fatigue plus a non-compliant surface? You start throwing all these things at them and seeing, you know, can they pass, can they pass, can they pass? Because that's literally what happens in a game. You know, you start, you know, minute one, you know, of a game, everything's good. But as your body starts wearing down, that's where all that starts coming. Fatigue, you know, you're on a turf or a field or something and, you know, the grass is getting beat up or if it's raining, the ground's getting softer so things are changing. So that's what we want to try to simulate in, in therapy is, you know, if I have you do certain things, we might, you know, do some, some drills and stuff, wear you down and then have you do – um some of these like really balanced and focus exercises towards the end of the session uh, where you really have to focus on, you know, the movement because that's going to simulate like at the end of a game when you're getting tired and it's like you're low on energy and your body's fatigued, how does it hold up with that? You know, so movements look great when everyone's fresh, but what, what happens when you're, when you're really, you know, um, fatigued, loaded, you know, all that type of stuff. So, Loaded as in weight, not uh, alcohol. 
<laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Right. Yeah. Especially since we're talking with most of most of them are not of age to be doing any of that. So, well, yeah. hey, man, these kids are crazy these days. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let me just kind of go into. We're going to step away from that a little bit. I want to talk about the mobility itself in the ankle. Um, the difference between the joint mobility and dynamic mobility. And we'll kind of finish it with that. Just, I, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. And, I'm, and this is kind of going back on one of the questions we were talking about earlier um, about the mobility. Um, but kind of explain to me the difference between joint mobility and dynamic mobility. So joint mobility is, um, you know, how the individual can move that body part through the range of motion itself. So like open kinetic chain. So if I sit on the edge of a table and I pull my foot up, point it down, move it in, move it out, make a circle, all that stuff, how well does that look? Um, and then it's different when you're in a closed chain position. So if I'm standing on the ankle and the ankle's loaded, now when that joint is under stress and the ligaments and the muscles and everything have to support the joint structures, now how well do they respond and what happens when the muscles have to control that joint into different ranges so if i lunge forward lunge back move side to side what happens with the mobility there and if i don't have good muscle control i might get some guarding or i might be limited in the movement or I might be hypermobile because now with that extra force of my body on it, it's going to push my body weight over the ankle into excessive ranges um, because I don't have the neuromuscular control to stop that. Um, I mean, you'll see a lot of that with like uh, gymnasts, you know, when they um, will hyperextend elbows, knees, hips, because that's where they want their landing point because they don't have the neuromuscular control. So they just bank on that excessive mobility. Um, and like Greg Cook talked about this in the fundamental capacity uh, uh, class, uh, man, was two years now ago, 20 years. I know, I know. It's oh. crazy, right? Saying he's seen more, more, um, incidents of, uh, hypermobility in, in like young males and females. It used to be just mostly females. Females, I think, tend to be a little more lax. And now you're seeing it in males as well. So, not uncommon to see that hypermobility. Um, uh, it doesn't know what it's from. If it's from environmental factors, food, um, just the way we're evolving as human beings. I mean, you know, you look back into like, you know, 1000 BC or before that, or you look at these like medieval, you know, knights and armor and stuff and, and the beds and like the tallest guy was like maybe five foot. And you're like, oh my, it's like, it's hard to fathom, like seeing these guys go <laughs> five foot and like, now that's like, you know, that's like, maybe an average, like, shorter end of a female, you know? Right, right. So, you know, we're changing and evolving as, as a human race, so um, you're going to see some of that. But that's what you're really going to see with the, with the uh, mobility. So, um, you know, how the joint reacts, open chain and then closed chain. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, that's good stuff. Hey, listen, you know what we have? We have, uh, we have three guests lined up. Um, over the next few weeks too, where we were active in, in getting guests back on here. We're going to probably see if we can do some tri podcasting again with coach you. Uh, he's been doing some freaking awesome stuff. He's uh, got a whole new uh, 
brand apparel he's got going on. So I'm sure that when he hears our podcast, he's going to hit me up and uh, try to get back on with us as well. We have uh, a lot we have of two other that we can have good conversations going into this 2021 year that we that we're going to bring on. It just you know, in the fall with uh, just a busy schedule and so many things going on, we kind of lost track of that. And around the holidays, I just feel like nobody really wants to be bothered with anything. Um, it's just kind of how it is. You get really involved with family and stuff like that, and it kind of drops. But that was the beginning of the year, and we're moving into spring, and people are getting real excited for stuff. So, um, you know, I definitely have, definitely have some awesome people lined up to talk about some great stuff going forward. Yeah, well, listen, this was a good way to get things rolling again. This is kind of how we started it back in April of 2020. We just decided, you know what, we're going to get back on a phone call, and it snowballed. And um, this is episode 26 that we've done together. So episode 26, um, and then we're just going to keep on trucking. Hopefully we'll be back at it again next Thursday, if not before that. You know, we may... We decided we're not just going to just stick to a certain time. If we can get on for 30 minutes and, and, and get it done, we're going to do it. We want to provide value to everyone out there that listens. Uh, I, I appreciate everybody. Um, you know, stay warm. This freaking snow sucks. Everybody who listens, who knows me, knows that um, I just went off today on, on Instagram writing about how much I hated it and, and put together a little ACL workout for uh, – for all my kids at home today that couldn't get into the gyms, but you know, we're going to be breaking out of this soon. We'll have some nice weather and we'll get outside and um, hopefully we'll, um, we'll go around to any of the fields and cure anybody with Seaver's disease. Hey man. Well, listen, I'm sure I'll talk to you tomorrow yeah. on the, uh, on the flip and um, you enjoy the rest of your evening. And thanks again for jumping back on and uh, let's get this thing rocking and rolling for 2021. Yeah, man. Well, sounds good. Talk soon. All right, man. All right. Take care.